Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. This is from Hosea, um, and this is chapter 1, 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam and the son of Johash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, Gomer excuse me, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu and the mass- and for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Loruchamah, which means not loved, for I will not no longer show love to Israel. That I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo Ruchama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one another, or one leader, and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Thank you, Claire, and uh, welcome to all of you, and thank you so much for that uh, show of appreciation. Um, It has been a real journey over the last 10 years, for sure. And uh, we look forward to what God has to do and desires to do in us and through us in the future. Uh, I want to welcome all of you to worship uh, with us this morning. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your very first time here, we especially want to say welcome to you. Uh, If you'll do us just a couple of favors while you're here, if, uh, first of all, you'll take a moment uh, to fill out your connection card, which is located on the left-hand side of the bulletin that you should have received on your way in. Uh, It's actually perforated down the middle, so you can fill that out, uh, drop it in the offering plate as it comes by after this morning's message. That will give us a record of you being here with us today. The second thing that we hope you'll do is take a moment to stop by one of our information centers, which is located right here on the side of our sanctuary or back here in our foyer. And uh, if you'll stop by there and grab one of these books, this is our gift to you. Uh, Just our way of saying thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, We are glad that you're here. I want to share a couple of announcements uh, with us before we jump into this morning's message. Uh, The first is that we are uh, so happy that after a summer of hard work, Uh, And after a spring of raising funds, today is the day that we get to dedicate uh, our brand new play area for our kids. So uh, immediately following this morning's service, we will have a a dedication service. It'll be very, very short. 
Um, but uh, after the service, we'll invite everyone to join us uh, back in the play area, and we'll dedicate that to God and just uh, pray for great things to, to happen and take place there. Uh, those of you that are parents and have kids back in eKids, uh, parent uh, or child pickup will be in the play area today. So uh, they will be there waiting for us for the time of uh, dedication. Uh, the second announcement I want to share is that last week we started a brand new uh, ministry called Open Lunch. Uh, open Lunch is a desire for us to just connect over meals. Uh, if you're looking for a place to get to know new people, if you're brand new to the church and want to get to know the people of the, of the church, or maybe one of our life groups doesn't quite work out and you still want to build connection with people, uh, then Open Lunch will be happening every single week, and we're going to try it out see how it goes. Um, but we will dedicate, or not dedicate, but we'll name a host, and then we will uh, let you know where they will be eating. So uh, this, to, this week's host is Jeremy and Krista Bradney right there. So stand up, wave. There they are. Uh, they're our host. Uh, they are parents, so they're going to be back in the E-Kids play area after the service. And so uh, you can meet us back there uh, if you'd like to join them, and they're going to be eating at Chipotle at uh, Harmony and Timberline. Uh, and insider tip, uh, during the month of September on Sundays... Kids eat free at Chipotle. So this is perhaps the greatest thing that has ever happened. <laughs> so this is evidence that heaven is coming to earth just as we, the Lord has taught us to pray. So, um, so that's, uh, that's good news. We also encourage you to be looking in your bulletin and mark your calendars for events coming up this fall, including some uh, pumpkin picking, uh, family resource event, hanging of the greens, and things like that. Uh, let, me allow, uh, let me quickly mention, of course, this is September 11th. Uh, and so on this day, 15 years ago, our country fell victim to terrorist attacks. Uh, in the aftermath of those attacks, uh, men and women went to the aid of their neighbors. Thousands of men and women in uniform embodied what it means to serve and to protect, many of them giving their lives to protect and save others. Uh, it was a day when we learned that we need one another. And uh, my prayer is that we as a people and as a people of God may lead the way in helping us uh, to continue to live in that truth, uh, that we are, in fact, better together. Uh, may we be bold enough as a people of God to also follow the instructions of Jesus, uh, to pray for those who persecute us, and to love our enemies. And uh, I want to say uh, a word of prayer uh, for social justice. Uh, it's a prayer found in the Book of Common Prayer, and I think it's uh, just really appropriate for us on this day. And then we'll jump into this morning's message. But let's, let's pray together. Grant, O God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart, and especially the hearts of the people of this land, that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatreds cease, that our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and in peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're starting a brand new series in Hosea. And I want to begin by saying that there are, you can know some things uh, without really knowing them. And what I mean by that is that there is uh, a different level of knowing uh, once you have actually come to experience something. Uh, that is to say that there are things that you can't really know uh, or can't really understand until you experience them. Uh, for example, you can't know the pain of losing someone from death until a, a close loved one of yours has, in fact, died. Uh, you cannot know the, the fear and trepidation of sending a child to college until you've sent a child to college. 
And if, uh, if those of you are a little more in the my stage of life, you cannot know the fear and trepidation of sending a child to preschool until you have sent a child to preschool. <laughs> and they bring all the germs home and you are sick all winter. Uh, there are a number of things in life that you can't really know about until you have experienced them. And, and I think that's a, an appropriate thing for us to know and to understand uh, as we approach this book of Hosea. Uh, beginning today, we're going to do, over the next five weeks, we're going to do kind of a flyover uh, of the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who came to know, and I mean really know, uh, both the brokenness of humankind and the love and faithfulness of God that we've been already singing about this morning. Uh, that Hosea, his very life embodied this message of both human brokenness and the love and faithfulness of God. Now, before we go into much more detail about the life of Hosea, uh, it's important to be reminded about what a prophet is and what they do. Uh, a prophet is a person that has been chosen by God to speak to his people. Now, we tend to think of prophets as sort of an ancient vocation, uh, but I would argue that prophets are just as real and active today uh, as they were back then. Uh, the reason for this is that God still chooses men and women uh, to, be his, to, to be his mouthpiece to his people. Uh, and in a very real sense, the, the vocation of pastor is in uh, a lot of ways prophetic. Uh, that's part of my role as a pastor and part of the role of pastors across denominations, across the country, around the world is to, in fact, speak to people on behalf of God. That's what we call a sermon in many ways. Uh, that my hope would be that uh, the sermon would intersect with your everyday life in such a way that you could say, you know, the Lord has spoken to me today and I have been moved into a response. Uh, which is why it's really important to understand how we uh, frame prophecy. Uh, a lot of times prophecy sort of is, is surrounded by a lot, of, um, a lot of mystery, maybe a lot of baggage about uh, only being future telling, that, that it's sort of looking into and then knowing the future. Uh, but I would say that prophecy is something more than that, uh, certainly isn't less than that, but certainly more than that as it is a timely word from God for the people of God. That prophecy is a timely word from God for the people of God. And so when we look at the book of Hosea and we understand that Hosea the man is a prophet, we understand his message and his words to be prophetic. Uh, I also want you to think about a prophet's message in this way. Uh, I want you to think about it as a word from elsewhere. Uh, a, a prophet's word or a prophet's message is a word from elsewhere. That is, the prophet is bringing words from God to the people. And, and often the prophet's message will run countercultural. Uh, it will run sort of uh, uh, like perpendicular, almost said parallel, that's not right, perpendicular to uh, cultural value. A, a lot of times what, what the prophet is doing is he's trying to say, you have adopted these assumed values uh, of the culture around you or of this or, or that. And, and yet here, let me just remind you of what the Lord really calls us to. And so a prophet is always calling the people of God to something. Uh, that is to say, it's a timely word from God for the people of God, but it's always a word that calls people to a response. Now, commonly, what the prophet points out is the things that have gone wrong in the lives of the people. He then calls them to repentance and to live rightly before God. Now, uh, Hosea is a minor prophet. We have minor prophets. Uh, Micah is another example of that. We have major prophets, the, two of the best well-known major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. 
Uh, and they're named minor and major not so much for their personality or the effectiveness of their ministry, but the size of their books. Uh, that's, that's how the prophets are named. And so the major prophets, the long prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, and then the shorter ones. Apocalyptic writings are also prophetic in the sense that they are calling the reader to a change in direction. And the imagery is often an indictment either against themselves or other nations. Uh, as in the prophet is saying, look at this nation, don't be like them. And so Hosea is a man, the man is a prophet, his record is prophetic. Uh, let me give you a real brief intro to the structure of the book. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, uh, I had Claire read basically all of chapter 1, and then the first verse of, of chapter 3. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 are, in fact, uh, a summary of the life and message of Hosea. Uh, but chapters 4 through 14... Uh, are the oracles that were spoken by the prophet. So it was his actual words. And so you can think about this. What that means is that Hosea would have been speaking the oracles of chapters 4 through 15 during the, t- the time or the narrative that is told in chapters 1 through 3. So in chapters 1 through 3, we kind of get the narrative of his life. Uh, he married this woman named Gomer. She had three kids. These were their names. In chapters 4 through 14, we have the oracles that he would have been speaking over that period of time. Does that make sense? So that's a, that's a real brief overview of the book. And so let's, let's dive in. This is really introductory. Uh, over the, again, over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at these oracles uh, that Hosea is speaking, but I want to set a foundation. Uh, and as I've already mentioned, Hosea comes to know the message that he is sharing because he literally embodies this message. His life becomes the communication tool by which God shares the message that he desires his people to hear. So in this way, God speaks through Hosea, not just uh, with him or to him. That God is literally speaking through Hosea and through his life. And so the question then becomes, what is this message that this prophet has so embodied? And we need to learn about his life, as as chapter 1 tells us, but we need to kind of get into this a little bit in order to really understand the message that he is proclaiming to the nation of Israel. Hosea married a woman named Gomer. Now, there's a lot of debate about Gomer and about who she was, um, but... What the scripture says, at least in the NIV that we read this morning, is that she was a promiscuous woman. Uh, Other passages say that she was a prostitute. Other use the word harlot. Uh, And so there's a lot of debate about whether she was uh, a prostitute by vocation or she was simply promiscuous. And and I want to to have us understand that she most likely was not uh, a prostitute by vocation, but was in fact promiscuous. And her promiscuity was likely related to Baal cultic worship. Baal is the word B-A-A-L. You can say it Baal or often Baal. Uh, Baal worship. Baal is kind of this common catch-all name for false gods in the Old Testament. Uh, And and so uh, there was cultic worship related to uh, for uh, Baal uh, in which a male and female would have intercourse that would symbolize the marriage of Baal with the earth and humans. And so this particular false god that was being worshipped was understood to bring produce to the land and fertility to humans. And so in order to symbolize that, they would have a male and female have intercourse as part of this cultic worship experience. Um, Sounds really bizarre, does it not? Uh, So in the ancient world, Baal worship was very common. Uh, And many scholars believe that Gomer was 
uh, one who participated in these rituals, that the, that the nature of her promiscuity is not how we would think about it today, but rather that she was regularly going and, and being the participant in these, these cultic uh, worship experiences. Now, the fact that she is directly connected to this worship will, in fact, become important later. Uh, but Hosea, he marries Gomer. She gives birth to uh, Hosea's son, Jezreel. Uh, Jezreel comes, uh, Jezreel gives this like really negative, awful description of why he's named Jezreel. Uh, and it's, it has to do with the destruction of the nation of Israel. And you think, whoa, what is the deal? And what is going on? Uh, well, the name Jezreel um, comes from the dynasty of King Jehu, uh, which sounds like a Star Wars name, doesn't it? Um, in fact, Claire, great job on the names. Really great job. I'm serious. That, I gave you a very difficult passage, and you nailed them. So good job. Uh, so it comes from, uh, it comes from the, the dynasty of King Jehu, uh, who actually opposed Baal worship. And so, so the king uh, over Israel, King Jehu, looked at uh, Israel's participation in Baal worship and said, we cannot do this anymore. And so he called to oppose uh, any sort of mixed worship, worship of Yahweh and worship of this false god, Baal. But after, come, after King Jehu, in, in the dynasty or in the line of King Jehu, comes King Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was, in fact, uh, not, not only uh, did he not do a good job of calling Israel to not worship Baal, but actually he fostered or encouraged Baal worship among the people of Israel. Uh, and so he, as a king, began to encourage this mixed worship of Yahweh and Baal, this, this true worship uh, and this cultic worship as well. And, and so... Uh, so in order to show or embody uh, or, or demonstrate that unfaithfulness, uh, Hosea has a son named Jezreel. Now, King uh, Gomer gives birth to a daughter, uh, Lo-Ruhomah, uh, which literally means not loved. Uh, and then Gomer gives birth to a second son, Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Now, these names are significant. Uh, because names, particularly in ancient culture, are a very big deal. Uh, they are a very big deal. They help, uh, they give you not only your identity, but they give the identity of you as a group, as a family, as a people. That there's, there's uh, much more of a corporate nature to the importance of the names in ancient culture. And so the fact that these, his children are named to point to the unfaithfulness of Israel is actually God beginning to call him into this embodiment of his message. Uh, and while we, I want to help us understand that names, even today, are still very important, that we name our children uh, either based on what the name might mean, and that becomes uh, important to us, or based on something that we, we love. For example, my brother uh, uh, named his two kids Lily and Brooke, and uh, I remember um, when Amy and I were, were thinking about names for our children, uh, we were always thinking about, like, what does that name mean? And so when my, when my second niece was born, uh, Brooke, I went to my brother and I said, oh man, Brooke, that's beautiful. What does that mean? You know, what does that name mean? And he goes, a small stream. 
And I was like, oh, right. Uh, but he named, so Lily and Brooke are nature names. And that totally fits my brother because he loves nature. He is happiest in the mountains with a fly rod in his hand. And so naming his children after these things makes sense. Uh, for Amy and I, uh, children did not come easy. Uh, it, was, it was not an automatic thing. We, we prayed and prayed and prayed for children. And there was a really long sort of um, journey for us to begin walking through. And so when we finally uh, were able to uh, get pregnant. We were thinking about in the pregnancy has lasted and everything was looking good. And so we were like, Hey, this is great. Um, what are we going to name this firstborn child? And we were thinking about all these names and we came up with the name, uh, Jaden. We thought that we had made it up. Um, cause we were like Jade, but th- that's cool. But we don't, that didn't quite feel right. And we th- were on a hike and we thought Jaden, Oh, we made up a name and it's awesome. Uh, but we went back and how appropriate we learned that it actually means God has heard. Um, and we thought, oh, this is wonderful. We didn't know that Will Smith's son was named Jaden. Uh, Brittany Spears's son was named Jaden. Um, and that in 2008, the year that she was born, it was the second most popular boy name. So anyway, we, we learned all that later, but it didn't matter to us. And the reason it didn't matter to us is because Jaden means God has heard. And after the journey that we had been on, it totally resonated with us. And so names have this significance. And I say all of that to say, I, I want you to put yourself in the Jews of Hosea, the prophet of God who has been called by God to marry a promiscuous woman. Can you imagine the gossip? Right? Can you imagine the, the, just the, the lines of, of, of just dirty talk that's happening, the water cooler talk around this prophet of God who has married this promiscuous woman? Now, hold on. Gomer, isn't she the lady that I saw over there on the hill worshiping Baal? And like, not just there, but she was like involved. Isn't that, is that the same woman? Oh, man. And then you begin to just question Hosea's character and you do all of this. Uh, And then if that weren't painful enough for Hosea to to begin living through that, then his children are named Jezreel and Lo-Ruhamah and Lo-Ami, not loved and you are not my people. And Jezreel, after this line of kings that had eventually Brought it, made it acceptable for Israel to participate in Baal worship. I mean, this is so significant. And, and I would say even that the naming of the children is in fact what frames his entire ministry and what frames his entire message. But all of this is not without purpose. All of this, this These names for the children, the fact that he's married this promiscuous woman, all of this is not without purpose. In fact, it 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 is by God's design that he does this. And the reason is because he wanted to share a message through Hosea. And God knows that sometimes it's not enough just to say something. Sometimes God needs to actually embody something among his people. And so he calls his prophet into this this level of pain and sacrifice in order to share this message. And this was the message that, that God wanted to share with the people of Israel through the prophet Hosea. He wanted to say this, Israel has been a harlot to God. Israel has been a harlot to God. Now, this is a very serious charge against the people of God. I mean, harlotry against God? How had they done this? What went wrong? And what could be cause for such an offense? 
Well, again, as I've already mentioned, scholars believe that the people of Israel had been mixing their worship, their worship of the one true God, Yahweh, with the cultic worship of Baal. And so God calls his prophet to marry Gomer, who herself had participated in this cultic worship as a way of saying to the people of God, you are to me what Gomer is to Hosea. This, this, ladies and gentlemen, is not just sort of this static message that is being shared. This is a message that is literally taking on flesh and bones through the prophet Isaiah. God paints for them a picture and says, look at the life of Hosea. Look at the unfaithfulness of Gomer to Hosea. And then that is what you have been to me. This is a very, very in-your-face kind of message. In fact, I want you to imagine the strength of this message as, as Hosea shares this with the people of Israel, as he's living it, he's embodying it, and then through his oracles that we'll read in chapters 4 through 14, he's actually saying it, and he's saying, you are doing to God what my wife has done to me. And I said at the beginning that there are some things we just can't know until we really know them through experience. I want you to imagine the prophet Hosea's ability to see and feel God's heartbreak over the unfaithfulness of his people. Like, it's one thing to just sort of know and to hear, hey, I've been unfaithful to God. It is another thing to know that through the direct experience of the unfaithfulness of his spouse. And so ultimately, the prophet is calling Israel back to God. But it's as if before they return to God, they must feel the weight of their own unfaithfulness. That's what God is trying to do. God, through the prophet Hosea, is trying to uh, to get the people of Israel to begin to understand the weight of their own unfaithfulness. I said at the beginning, Hosea understood the brokenness of humanity. He's literally, through obedience to God, experiencing the brokenness of of humanity. But but here's the thing, and this is why I had Claire read chapter 3, verse 1. That at the very same time that God wants to say to his people, you have been unfaithful to me, and here's here's the picture, the embodiment of that, that I want you to see and to know and to understand. At the very same time, Hosea is called to a radical faithfulness to Gomer despite her unfaithfulness. Uh, In fact, even at one point after a separation, he buys her back in order to maintain and then restore the relationship. And this is, in fact, what we read in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is, and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. And you're like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, but it's all just wrapped up in this, this, this unfaithfulness to God, these, uh, these, these things that embody a faithfulness to another God. And you've been given over to that almost completely. But he, he says, 
Hosea, go and, and buy her back. Go and, and, and call her back to yourself. And in that way, I will demonstrate my own faithfulness to the unfaithful people. And so on one hand, you have sort of the, the, the rampant unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel embodied in the person of Gomer. And then on the other hand, you have the unwavering faithfulness of God embodied in the prophet Hosea. Now, we might be tempted toward a chicken or the egg question here. Like, what came first? Was it the marriage to the unfaithful woman and then the word from God about Israel's unfaithfulness? Or was it a word from God about Israel's unfaithfulness and then the marriage to an unfaithful woman? And and the answer is clear from the text. The answer is that God gives a word to Hosea that Israel has been unfaithful to, to, uh, to their bride who is God. And he needs a prophet to share this message. And so she call, he calls uh, Hosea to marry Gomer. And so the word comes, Israel has been unfaithful. And now the, the embodiment comes, I want you to actually embody or proclaim this message. The word comes first, and then he is called to literally embody the message through obedience. And what I want you to see here is that the life of Hosea becomes the picture it literally becomes the picture that God wants to say to us. God communicates not just with words in the prophet, through the prophet Hosea, but through picture as well, through embodiment. And so Gomer represents unfaithful Israel. And I want to say that we are so prone to make commitments and then to walk in unfaithfulness, are we not? That in every story, whether it's a movie or a book or a biblical narrative, I think it's good practice to begin to just ask ourselves, where do I see myself in this, in this story, in this picture? And I'll bet that many of us could begin to see ourselves in the, in the character of Gomer, that we have made commitments that, that we weren't so faithful to or that we didn't do so great in upholding. And, and in the midst of that, we could find ourselves totally downtrodden and discouraged, and we could find ourselves with a low self-esteem and all of that. Like that could lead us down a very bad road. But, but there's this sense in which that even despite my uh, my. my a tendency to be unfaithful to the God who loves me, that we need to rest in the faithfulness and the love of God. In fact, that's the message that I want you to get today. I, I just want you to have an encounter with the unrelenting love of God the Father. And I want you to have an experience of the unwavering faithfulness of God. And when we talk about the faithfulness of God, I think we need to understand it in terms of what does God reveal about himself on the cross. Um, there's a lot of things in Scripture that are, are understood to be promises, but, but maybe aren't exactly promises. And, and so when we rest on the faithfulness of God, we just, we just rest in what we know about God as revealed on the cross, which is his love for us, his forgiveness for our sins, and his promise to be with us. The 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 incarnation, the the being with us of God leads him to the cross. 
And so when I say to you today, I want you to rest in the love of God and rest in the faithfulness of God. I want you to know that whatever you're going through, whatever trial or trouble or tribulation you may be facing, God has promised to walk with you through it. God has promised to love you through it. And God has promised that he will be faithful to you. God hasn't promised that he will provide healing all the time. God hasn't promised that he will necessarily bring reconciliation because that always takes two people and the other person has free will. They may not desire that. But God has promised to walk with you and God has demonstrated his love for you. In fact, I want to remind us today that there was, in fact, another prophet whose life embodied his message, whose actions and life became prophetic symbols of God's unrelenting love and unwavering faithfulness. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28, it says this, while they were eating, they as the disciples with Jesus, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant. And then he says this, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That that Jesus, during what we have come to know as the Last Supper, uh, says to his disciples, my body will be broken and my blood will be poured out, but it will be for the forgiveness of sins. And so in this way, Jesus proclaims a message. He shares a rather radical message, the the message of the forgiveness of sins. And, And we can also take that out of the plural and say the forgiveness of sin. And we can think of sins as sort of the individual acts that are disobedient to God. We can think of sin as the engine which drives the action. And God says, I forgive both. I forgive your sin. And I forgive your sins. But I want us to ponder this just for a moment. That that the forgiveness of sins is the reality that we don't have to live with the burden and the guilt of our brokenness. Again, like sort of recognizing our brokenness is such a good and healthy thing. But it's a terrible way to live. It's a terrible way to live with consistent, like, like just this always down on myself brokenness. Because the forgiveness of Jesus Christ releases us from both the burden and the guilt of our brokenness. And it also means to us that the ultimate authority, capital U, capital A, the ultimate authority has extended to you grace. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is that the creator God, the ultimate authority, the God of the universe, has extended grace to you. And that, my friends, is a beautiful thing. But the reality of forgiveness, this message, this radical message of the forgiveness of sins, it also means that we live in a world where we can give each other the benefit of the doubt. 
And listen, the more life that I live, the more I see my own brokenness. And the more I see the need for all of us to extend grace to one another. But Jesus does not just share this radical and prophetic message. Jesus does not end with these words at the Last Supper. This prophet, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, also must embody his message. He must also walk in obedience to God in true sacrifice so that the people of God will recognize the weight of their own brokenness and the beauty of the unrelenting love and unwavering faithfulness of God. And so Jesus dies, an innocent man, at the hands of a corrupt system filled with systemic sin. And as he is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. More contemporary translations say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're living in this ignorance. But I want us to see today that Jesus doesn't just embody the practice of forgiveness. So, so I want you to see the progression. He shares, he shares the reality of forgiveness. That this, this new covenant is for the forgiveness of sins. And then on the cross, he embodies the message of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But then in his death and in his dying, he literally wins forgiveness for us. Jesus on the cross absorbed our sin and absorbing our sin in his death, our sin is forgiven. And in raising from the dead, our sin is defeated. And so today, what I wanted you to hear and what I want you to know and to understand, but but really, as I mentioned, I, I don't want you just to know it up here. I want you to experience it. My prayer this morning was that we would experience the love of God. Not just hear about it, not just sing about it, but in some way the Spirit of God would be active enough in this place that we would come to know and ex- by, by experiencing the love of God that is unrelenting in your life. But also the faithfulness of God that is unwavering in your life. I want us to say a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. I've come to love the Book of Common Prayer. It gives, it gives words when I don't have them. Um, whether that's in times of, of death and dying, whether it's in times of, of joy and celebration, uh, I just find that I, I don't trust uh, my own heart and soul to always come up with the best thing to say. Uh, and so I rely heavily on the Book of Common Prayer because it, it, it allows uh, words and language that I don't always so readily have. Uh, but I want to invite us to pray this prayer. It's from the second Sunday in Advent. But we pray this prayer because, number one, it mentions the prophets. 
uh, specifically. It says, Lord, help us to hear the message of the prophets. But then it invites us to hear and receive their message. Uh, and so this prayer is, is a prayer that we would hear and that we would receive the message of the prophets. And the message of the, the prophet Hosea today is that God loves you with an unrelenting love. And God is faithful to you with an unwavering faithfulness. And I pray that we would hear it, but that we would, we would receive it as well. And so let's, uh, let's pray this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.